0: Hello, Naked Parent Nation, and welcome to today's episode of the Naked Parent Podcast. My name is Chad Ratliff, and I'm your host. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about special education services, family support, and an awesome book that you're going to want to hear more about. But before I introduce you to our guest today, let me start by sharing our community's preamble. Naked Parent Nation is a worldwide community of parents raising children with all kinds of needs. We come together to share our naked truths, support our fellow parents, and inspire the inner growth that each of us needs to build the life and family of our dreams. For the parents that are struggling, we want you to know that we will love you until you can love yourself. For your children, we pray and send power from our collective group. As we come to understand our divine nature, we realize that there's no need to feel sorry for ourselves, be angry, or feel lack. We come to understand that our feelings of limitation and separation are only in our minds. Through self-realization, we expand our consciousness so that the challenges that perplex us today dissipate one by one until we're able to see and experience gratitude and beauty in everything just as it is. We have the power to create any kind of life we want for ourselves and our family. We do this by living in the naked present moment one day at a time. Esther and Jerry Hicks call it the science of deliberation and we call it the answer to all of our prayers. So on today's show, we have Susie Dell with us. She's a retired teacher and recently wrote a book that's online with Barnes & Noble that encourages parents of young children to push forward and set goals for their special needs children. She says that no one should set limits on our children. They are drastically underestimated in their abilities. She taught in public, private, and charter schools throughout her teaching career. We're going to hear about her book Silent Voices which you're not going to want to miss and it describes her experience as a mother and teacher of a gifted and talented daughter and son who is diagnosed with PDP or autism at the age of three years old. Her daughter is now a cardiologist NP and her son has a job in a local restaurant, attends local vocational day programs and is moving into an independent living home with roommates and minimal staff support. There's more to her, but welcome to the show, Susie. We're so grateful to have you. Thank you, I appreciate that. Where are you calling in from?
1: I'm calling in from Montgomery, Texas. I'm sure you can hear the accent. I was listening to you. Are you in California?
0: I am originally from Detroit, but I'm in California for 20 something years. How old are your children now?
1: My son just turned 28 and he just moved out and made me an empty nester. Wow. And my daughter, (laughs) yeah, he's doing great. We've been gone for a week, (laughs) so not very long. I helped him move out last week. My daughter, she's 29, so they were very close in age. They were 17 months apart. So it was like, it felt like having twins sometimes. (laughs)
0: So how are you feeling? I mean, this is a totally new chapter.
1: I'm feeling really good because my husband and I put in a lot of hard work when they were young, when they were preteens, when they were teens, and in their early adulthood, we sacrificed my daughter through school, my son, to get him to where he is today. It wasn't an easy road at all. They didn't come that way.
2: (laughs) Yeah. We,
1: you know, extremely proud. And we definitely did have a big party for my daughter and for my son in these kind of a graduation moments that we just experienced. So, was it hard, you know, seeing them grow up? Yes. But at the same time, it was bittersweet. And it's really a big accomplishment. And the time goes by so fast. But when you're in the moment, it seems so slow.
2: Yeah. what
0: I mean? Yeah. So one thing that I didn't mention in your bio, it says you've been married for 32 years.
1: Yeah, it'll be 33 in June.
0: That's not something a lot of people raising kids with unique needs are able to say often.
1: Well, yeah. And we've had our challenges just like everyone else. I just think we've made the conscious decision to push forward through those challenges. And I would say, I talk about my faith in the book, that that brought me through. We both came from those strong family backgrounds that uh, helped us to push through. So we had a strong family network of grandparents and aunts and uncles that assisted us. Because it wasn't easy sailing with any child, but especially a child with special needs. We went through behavioral problems. We have none and we have not had any since junior high. It's been terrific. Wow. i I wanted to send my husband to my son's day program and keep my son here a couple of times. (laughs) He makes his bed in the morning. He cooks. He cleans. (laughs) <laughs> so he, well. He's awesome. <laughs> he's so sweet. In fact, he's, he's very, very trusting. So he goes to church every Sunday. <laughs> so, you know, he's just a model citizen now. And, and for a guy, I mean, just to keep up with all the things he does is just phenomenal, but I'm bragging.
0: You should be proud. So just to kind of like Take us back to the beginning a little bit. So you found out early on, you noticed signs that something was going different than how you expected.
2: Oh,
1: yeah.
0: Diagnosed by age three.
1: Yeah. My daughter was my first child. She had colic. She screamed, cried, didn't sleep at all. Beautiful child. Just hit all her milestones right on the mark. And I think she was like nine months old. She started walking hmm. early. Yeah. And my husband was in Germany working for a tech company that is based in California. And we were living in Spring, Texas at the time. And he was just floored that she started walking while he was in Germany. Wow. And he, his boss or manager made him feel better. said, you probably would have been at work. Even if you were in town when she started, so don't worry so much. You'll see her walk. But she began early on at this before. I mean, just really early on, she would toddle behind our cars and read the license plates, the wow. letters and the numbers. Wow. Well, I had been a, a business teacher, and later on, I got certified as English, and then I got certified in my uh, in autism later, but. As she would do this and the neighbors would hear her and gather around. I even actually heard a parent say, they're pushing that kid to read or something like that. And I was uh-huh. like, no, we're just playing. And we would play and it was like word recognition, you know, at an early age. So I knew she was a little different while the other, some of the other kids were picking their nose. She was reading the letters <laughs> to Liza place, And I was like, well, I'm not trying to show off here. I wasn't trying to push her. It's just, it was her. that's it. That emerged early on with her. And then so when my son came along, at, they were 17 months apart. He hit milestones when he should have. And so I thought everything was just fine. But at two years of age, he was not talking. His dad is a scientist, a chemist specifically, is a very quiet man normally. So I just brushed it off as that was his personality that my son was quiet, didn't think much of it. But on his second birthday, we invited, you know, cousins and everything. We we're gonna have a cookout. And my brother in law, who's a principal at one of the who was a principal at one of the local elementaries, had two children the same ages as mine. And his children were both speaking and I just didn't snap to it. And I don't know why, but I had taught high school students mainly
2: mm-hmm. and he
1: had mainly taught elementary. So he was snapping to the fact that his nephew was not talking
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he was hinting to me about this. And he would say, and I guess he knew that parents were very sensitive if you said anything about their child. Yeah especially their child not being perfect or their child being different or yeah. what's wrong with my genes or what's wrong with you? You're so rude. You shouldn't say anything. He's too young to say anything, but it's really quite the opposite. My brother-in-law kept hinting around it. Hmm. How old is he? Shouldn't he be talking about now? You know, those kind of things. And I'd be like, huh? And, you know, finally snapped to what he was kind of saying. So at the end of the party, Then my mother-in-law, my mother started on, well, maybe you should just take him to the pediatrician, get him checked out. Wouldn't, you know, wouldn't, I was like, I don't, there's nothing wrong. He's fine. And they were like, so that was going through a little denial there. Didn't want to, I knew in my heart, but I didn't want to face it. I wanted to just write it off. But my mother was persistent and said, look, if there's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong. It doesn't hurt to have a checkup. So I went on, and that's when I did notice first doctor's appointment. The other children were kind of sitting there, and he was running around the office like a monkey, hanging off the chairs, just wouldn't sit down, was all over the place. And then I began to see the nurses whispering, and I'm like, what the... (laughs) Is my child the only one that can't sit down and can't settle down?
2: Yeah.
1: Uh So I began to notice, oh, these other children are acting different or, you know, and then I was like, no, it's my child acting different. And then it's like a anger rose up in me. I got to thinking, oh, my gosh, what's wrong? You know, it mm-hmm. it, it hits you like a train mm-hmm. smacks you, you know, and um I think maybe I thought because he was a boy, he was just going to be different than my daughter. I didn't compare them at all. And when I got into the pediatrician, you know, and I this is so many years ago. And I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, There's certain times in your life that are imprinted in your memory. But I remember the doctor and I talk about him in the book. I remember him. Saying, well, let's call early childhood intervention, and I'm like, Early childhood intervention, what is that? Yeah, and he got on the phone and, well, let's put him in Mother's Day out, let's see if he starts socializing. So I did. We got him to a speech therapist and got the insurance to pay for it. Well, that's when it first started. I started realizing. I had to advocate for my child. They weren't just going to hand over some speech therapy. Here you go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was like handing over some money. But you're kind of young. You're naive to the fact that you really are kind of a number. Not that people want to make you feel that way, but you kind of really are. My husband lost his job. He's 58 in December. So he's got another job now. But when he lost it, I went and got my insurance license. I've learned a lot about the insurance industry, but I learned early on, you write letters, you put everything in writing. As a teacher, I kind of knew that, but not really until I really got into special education. And the average parent doesn't know how to advocate for your child. So this is why I wanted to write that book, because you've got to get the emotions out. And you have to tell yourself, look, I have to take the emotions out. I can't just take people's words. I have to write down my child's needs and I have to give it to them in writing. I have to put it in a certified letter if I have to. Mm-hmm. I have to not worry about what anybody's thinking and just worry about my child. And I've been in all the yards where they've said, well, we have all these kids we got to take care of. And I've said, I'm sorry. I've got one mm-hmm. and that's all I'm concerned about is mine right now. Yeah. If I were in a classroom, I'd be concerned about all these kids like you are, but we're not here to talk about all these other kids. We're here to talk about my son. So you have to focus to get, and you've got to get it early because I got my son help early. I believe that he would not be where he is today I've seen parents, I've worked for advocacy groups, partners, research, resource network in Texas. I've heard parents, their kid's nine years old and and they still haven't gotten a diagnosis or they've gotten the wrong diagnosis.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You can't get help until you get the right diagnosis. If you disagree with the diagnosis, you have the right to get another opinion.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: In fact, I got a diagnosis before I went to the school which was a really good thing to do. I unknowingly did. And a speech therapist pointed me that direction. And of course, I I have faith and I believe that God pointed me the right way. So it was a journey, a lifelong journey. And finally, I still support my son. I'm his support staff. And until the day I die, I probably will be. And the reason why is special education, even in adulthood, the day program he goes to, the beautiful independent housing that he's in now, that's affordable. It's still hard to staff, find the support staff because it's it's low paying. You're right. What I've I've already observed there is a lot of times you're going to see These support staff, they're very well-meaning, kind, loving people. But they take on so many clients because they're trying to make a living because the pay is so low that they have a minimal amount of time to spend with each client, which can make for a messy house, can make for the kids not getting what they need. Mm -hmm. And this happens in the school districts. I saw it in the school districts. The average parents don't see all this behind the curtain. I saw it and that made it worse. It's like if you never worked in a fast food restaurant and you go work behind the fast (laughs) and you see what's going on, then you don't want to eat a hamburger again. I think that's a good analogy.
0: (laughs) Can I ask you, um, when it was suggested by your brother-in-law and you go to the doctor and he makes the phone calls for the early intervention and you're saying what's going on and you're feeling that anger, but you're also feeling that you're the parent and that you need to advocate for your child. I think that this is a a defining moment in a lot of our lives. And I think a lot of people like myself aren't able to transition through that part in a smooth way. A lot of times, unfortunately, I hear the stories of, you know, the anger and the depression kick in and the isolation, you know what I mean? And the child's definitely not getting what they're needing because now the parent is emotionally mentally well. How did you make it through that time period? And what do you say to the person who's in it right now where they know they need to step up for their child, but they don't even want to get out of bed?
1: I get it. I understand. And I allowed myself to mourn because that's what you're doing. You're mourning the death of a a norm. I hate to. I don't want to say normal. Our kids are normal too, but you're more mourning the death of a typical child. We have an atypical child. They're different. They're not what we expected. Mm-hmm. It's like somebody told us we were going to Paris and we ended up, I don't know, somewhere else that wasn't as easy to be, wasn't maybe as pleasing to us, it was a harder road. We weren't expecting to go there. We were going to get off the plane, go to Paris and sail around. And it was going to be all roses, right? Yeah. Well, but when we get there, we realize, hey, there's other parents there like us. And they're wonderful. And these children are beautiful. And what we need to focus on is what they can do, not what they can't do.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And I'm going to say, My background with my grandmother and my grandfather, and I want to tell their story, my family background and my faith. I'm not saying I didn't have depression. I did, and I did see someone about it, and I believe in medication, apparently. My daughter's a nurse practitioner. I believe in using all the tools in your toolbox, education, medication, therapy, Anybody, anything that can work with your child, even if you didn't think your child needed but just a little bit of it, it's another person working with your child, keeping their attention. Anything you can do to hone in on their fine motor skills. PE, Will had some wonderful coaches that worked with him. Awesome. They took the time to talk with him every day, counsel him. Don't write off a coach. Cause they mentored him pastors, anyone in the community that's going to go the extra mile. We'll just moved into independent living. There's a pastor that comes there on Sundays and offers free rides to his church. Awesome. And he takes the guys and they're so happy and they eat breakfast there. They're welcomed. Mm. He's including them in the community.
2: That's wonderful.
1: Yes, it is wonderful. Treating them like you'd want to be treated. I remember the embarrassing moments when my son was young and he would throw a tantrum in a restaurant and everyone was looking at me and I felt like they were judging me like your child is so misbehaved. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I remember him being younger and teachers telling me they wanted to clone my daughter. And inside, well, I was happy they said that about my daughter, but that they thought my daughter was great. But what about my son? Mm -hmm. You don't want to clone him? I think he's great. You don't think he's great? You know, so I had all this going in my mind. Like you said before, a lot of this is in your mind. So go for therapy. Take time for yourself and definitely take time for your marriage. Carve out that time. Yeah, it's hard to find a babysitter if you have five or six or two special needs children or how many children you have. It's hard, even if it's just sitting on the patio for 30 minutes on a Friday night having a glass of wine. Mm
2: -hmm. carve
1: out some time with your partner, with your wife, your husband, whatever, because that's what you've got to do. You've got to stay strong. My husband and I decided, I remember when we got the diagnosis and we decided that night, that this was not gonna conquer us and it wasn't gonna conquer our son. We decided to stick together a three chord, three, what is it? Something in the Bible about three chords aren't easily broken. Well, I partnered with God and he partnered with me, my husband, and we stuck together. So, sticking together as a team, my husband and I, we were able to go into those arts. We were able to do what we needed to do. Now, I'm not going to say I didn't have emotion. I did have emotion, and sometimes it came right out. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: was there good old boys clubs in Texas? Definitely. I've got some stories. I could write some more books. And it's not just in the special education field either. It's in the other fields. Mm -hmm. I read a book growing up, Cry From the Bottom Run where this kind of thing happened with typical kids where some kids were favored over others. So, I mean, you have to realize that, look, there's a lot of people out there just like you find a support group. This is great. I didn't even know about this podcast and all this. I'm older. I'm 57 years old. So just for me to get on the computer and do all this this technology is taken off. Yeah. But to get back to my grandfather, my grandfather, he was reared in the Depression era. His mom and dad had six children. He was the oldest. His dad left the family for another woman, left his mother with six children to feed during the Depression. That was tough enough. Mm -hmm. But let's add on the disability. My grandfather was the oldest he quit high school because he had to help his mother feed the family. Wow. But during this time, he and his brother would go hunting. To He loved hunting, and they would kill things to bring back to eat. Yeah. <laughs> well, his younger brother accidentally shot him in the leg.
2: Oh, my.
1: This was years back during the Depression. He lost his leg. Oh, wow. They cut it off. An old country doctor cut it off on the kitchen table. I'm not kidding you. Oh my
2: god.
1: Now, tough. My grandfather was tough. He had one leg the rest of his life. He lived to be 88. Wow. And he kept that wooden leg. He. We tried to get him to change to these new legs. He had. What he didn't want nothing to do with it. And we know that that leg hurt because those are old. Legs that were wooden. I remember it had a hole in it, and he'd stick his money in there. Really? Yeah. They actually strapped around your hips. That's how they put them on. Wow. He was the captain of his basketball team. And when they elected him captain, they said, well, let's wear long pants instead of shorts because of JW. Wow. And he said, no, we're wearing shorts. I'm not afraid for anybody to see my leg. Wow. So they wore shorts. So back then, if you had a disability, they were shamed. They would hide it. But mm-hmm. not my grandfather. He didn't hide it. He never hid it. And he never missed a day of work in his life. Wow. He worked with one leg as a pipe fitter. Now, that was a tough man. He worked till he was 65. And mm-hmm. I know he was in pain because that's hard work outside. He put his daughter, his youngest daughter, who was only six years older than me, put her through at Texas A&M. Wow. She's an accountant, lives in Harlingen. But he, he was tough. And my grandmother, I remember her stopping a man on the road who was begging with one leg, begging for money. I remember stopping when I was a child and telling him off she told him i am there to a man with one leg and he had never missed a day of work and you need to go and get a job wow now these were the type of people i was reared with yeah they weren't playing with you (laughs) if you could walk if you had one leg and you could walk you you were working you didn't eat so this is the mentality I was reared with. And so this is the way we, now I heard stories of my, my great grandmother, they called her Maudelle She would make my grandfather do stuff with that one leg. And then she'd go in her room and cry. Mm.
2: She
1: wouldn't let him see. Well, that's what I've done with my son. Mm. I've made him do. And then I go in my room and cry. And let me tell you this past month, preparing to move him out, which I know it's a great place. He's safe. It's one of the best places in Texas, but I've cried this whole month. I cry when I get up, but it's a happy at the same time, it's a, it was a bittersweet happy cry. Mm-hmm. But did I cry in front of him? No way. I feel sorry for him sometimes. Yes, but not in front of him. mm I tell him I'm proud of him, and I tell him I'm so proud of him when I see him do something. What he can, I focus on what he can do.
0: Yeah. How's he feeling about the, this new move?
1: He's been super excited. You know, he went from not talking, and now he's saying phrases like, I'm lucky. Wow. He says, I'm lucky I got in this community, and he How- knows he is.
0: How hard was it to find this place?
1: Oh, well, <laughs> I found it. He had a behavioral problem in junior high, and we went through all those struggles. I made this, well, I advocated for the school to, when he had an outburst, he kicked an aide who filed charges against him. Mm. You would never think in a special education as a juvenile that she did. Oh, my God. It was a blessing in disguise because I sent a certified letter to the school and I said, look, if you can't educate my child properly, from 3 to 21, Texas law says, I knew the law. I studied it. I wasn't a special education lawyer, but I read it. And I knew they had, if they couldn't handle him, they had to pay the tuition in a private school Where he could be handled. So at the age of 12, I left him at a private school, special education school, with some angels that were answers to my prayers. They used applied behavioral therapy on him, counseling, music therapy, all kinds of wonderful things. They were wonderful people. And that school was started by parents, of course. Yeah. And they oh, I cried my eyes out at 12 years old. He was beginning to be a danger. you know, he was He was a big boy at 12. Mm-hmm. My husband was traveling. He wasn't there to help me restrain him. My daughter and I were small. It was hard. I was trying to work. He was spitting his medicine out. It was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. I told the superintendent, "Let me tell you something. You're not putting him in juvenile." detention school you're not labeling him as some criminal he has a disability you're going to give him the education that he needs and he deserves and i put it all in writing well again i believe god was with me because my prayers were answered when i put that in writing and put it in a certified letter that year that special education director was retiring and she granted my wish to send my son to that school wow And it was $150,000 a year tuition for that school. Wow! You look at that and you think, wow, that's a lot of money. But you just think about it. That's three teacher salaries right there, probably in the state of Texas. And that's low paying teacher salaries. Special education makes more than that. Where I'm at right now, that's a low salary. But you think about it. They have to pay like three people in a special education class. Yeah. You know what? If that's what it takes to help these children, they just showed on the Houston News where there was two special education teachers there indicted or arrested for hitting a child with autism. Hmm. Pulling him by the ear. You know, they they're losing their patience. They're losing there's a way to communicate with these guys without you know you can be assertive without being aggressive you can be firm without being mean these guys they like calendars they like rules consistency firmness just like any other they like structure just like any other kid you have to man up just like anybody else you know you just got to put your big girl panties on yeah. Say in Texas, and you, you gotta do what you gotta do. And uh, when he was three years old and he people would say, How do you get him to sit still for speech therapy? He knew I'm in business, you're sitting down. There was consequences if he didn't. He went to time out or or he didn't get what he wanted. You know, I didn't reward his bad behavior. And the people that the school where he kicked a teacher. They were rewarding his bad behavior because when I went up there, the principal had him sitting in his lap eating a muffin after he kicked a teacher. I'm like, why are you rewarding him with a muffin? I know you feel sorry for him, but don't do that. You know, when he does something right, he can have the muffin. (laughs) I believe that's what you do. I believe in that system, not in a mean way. I don't believe in ABA, you know, don't, I don't believe in the corporal punishment, but, you know, hurting a child in any way. I don't believe in that part of it. But I do believe it works if you use it correctly. It's a tool, just like all the other tools, picture exchange communication. As a parent, if you don't get in there and research for yourself, I did that. And that's why I went and got, I, te- I just tested out in special ed autism because I'd read so many books trying to help my son. Helicopter mom, I guess.
0: Sounds like he did a great job. How long did he stay at that school that was one hundred fifty thousand a year?
1: From age twelve to sixteen, and then we uh, brought him back to his high school, where he was successful in the special, regular, special education in regular history classes. And other regular classes, we put him back in the regular school system and he did wonderful and graduated and even got a scholarship to wow. a local vocational college by that school district. So wow. it was definitely, he went back for the last two years, his junior and senior year. And speaking of the athletics, tap into athletics, tap into athletes. They're a big help. I actually had a football player come up to me and ask me if he could escort Will across the stage. Uh-huh. He said, can I walk with him across the stage? I said, yeah. So when my son was getting the graduation present, so was this this football player. What a wonderful guy. Uh-huh. So they're tapping to those loving, kind people out there that want to help, that want a friend And I taught my daughter this early on. That's why she's a loving, caring nurse practitioner she is today. She advocates for people when Uh she sees people in need, because I taught her as a young child when she was five. She was in a private school. I put her in and that was my thing. I didn't have a lot of time with her that's where the grandparents stepped in to help me with her because I felt like I was neglecting her because I was spending so much time with him. Mm -hmm. And you feel like you're neglecting your marriage because you're spending so much time with this child and you're spread thin and you've got all this guilt and you don't know where to go and what to do. And you need time for yourself too. There's only so much of you. Yeah. So my daughter brought a kid from this private school home and I heard them playing with my son and then I heard this little girl saying the R word to my son. Mm. She was running around saying the R word and I lost it. I was just like, okay, you two girls come in here. I tell the little girls, you know, we don't say that in this house. And I taught her, I told her and taught her why, how unkind it was. And I thought, you know, this was a Christian school. The mother was not teaching her. Maybe she hadn't had something happen where she could have made it a teachable moment. But I made it a teachable moment. But when the little girl left, I told my daughter, we can't pick our family, but we can pick our friends. Mm -hmm. If your friends are not kind to your brother, they're not your friends. So we never saw that little girl again. Hmm. She didn't want to hang out with her. You know, she became an advocate for people who needed help uh in high school she called me i was teaching english and she called me mom at lunch can i bring this freshman home she was a senior i was like for lunch that she was it was in the summer it was band practice or something I was like sure she, i was like why why do you want to bring a freshman She's like, oh these girls were making fun of her so i want to show them that they're just real jerks and i'm bringing her home for lunch you know so she always stood up for the underdog because of sh- her brother. So i was very proud of her for that and I used the family, I used the friends to help me out and she turned out great cuz you you can't neglect your husband, you can't neglect your other kids.
0: Yeah, that's tough. So what's next for you? Now you guys are empty nesters, what's next?
1: Well, I'm going out to the adult day program and I'm working with Will a couple days a week. He's doing so good. And I picked up another client out there who's awesome because his mother lives further away and she's awesome. So I just said, okay, I'll take him too because he's like Will. He's easy. And that's where you want to get your child, if you possibly can, get them to where they can do for themselves as much as possible. And I know that's not possible with all of them. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: I know it's not, and I don't mean to make light or not empathize with people because I know some are a whole lot. I know I'm blessed. I'm fortunate. It can be a lot more severe, but if you can do something, do something. One of the downs guys that's in the house with my son We had a teachable moment there. He doesn't wash dishes very well. He leaves a lot of food on the dishes. Well, at first we were all like, you know, gross. We don't want to get roaches. And I noticed the other caregiver wouldn't wash them for him because he was trying to teach him to do it. But I was thinking, wow, he's a grown man. He hasn't learned to do this by now. I don't think he's going to get it. He's trying. I could really see the kid. The guy was trying. Mm -hmm. So I looked at the other guys and I said, what can this guy do good? And they said, well, he can pick up his clothes. And um, he can rinse the dishes and put them in the dishwasher. He can no, he can unload the dishwasher and put his dishes up. I said, well, I'll tell you what you help him out. Y'all are nice Christian men. You go to church. You want to help people. I said, help him, help him rinse his dishes and put it in the dishwasher and push start. And then the next morning, it's his job to unload the dishwasher because y'all loaded it. How about that? Let's take turns. And they were fine with that. There was no complaining. There was, well, that's not my job to do his job. You know, so you just, you know, you just got to direct them. That's all. You just have to direct that special needs guy. It doesn't matter how severe, you usually can do something, hopefully. And and I'm not a doctor, so sometimes you can, I know. But if you can, do something.
0: Well, I appreciate you sharing this story. And it's amazing to hear, you know, where your children are. Before we kind of close this conversation, can you tell us the name of the book, where to find it?
1: Okay, it's... uh Silent Voices. Um, My husband named it Silent Voices. (laughs) I guess it was just oxymoron because he didn't talk when he was little. And then they don't have a voice and we have to be their voice. And and then I I added, because there are other books named Silent Voice out there, but this was Silent Voices. So I put a, a mother and teacher's perspective of autism and then Susie by Susie Dale. You can find it online at Barnes and Noble. The cover is awesome. Yeah. To me, the puzzle pieces just means that you got to put it all together. Everybody's different. Like the IEPs in the school district, our kids are all different They ha- they need a lot of different things. And the puzzles to me is not to label anybody or say anything about them. To me, it's just to show that. You know, even though we go through hard times and we've got to help them put the pieces together. Mm-hmm. It takes time. It takes love. It takes money. And uh, it takes work. But they do blossom into butterflies sometimes.
2: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> Hopefully.
0: That's awesome. But
1: anyway, uh, don't give up. Never give up because you just never know. I mean, I even had a, a special ed bus driver one time when he was throwing a fit and I was trying to put him on a bus couldn't talk. You feel like you're putting your kid, you're sending your kid to China or something, you know, and he can't speak Chinese, put him on the bus. And the bus driver looked down at me and she said, you know what? There's lots of guys that acted like this and then they grow up and they're just fine. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, she gave me hope, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, because I had a mother down the street that never gave me hope because she said, I said, I'm trying to find a babysitter. And she said, oh, Donna down the street will keep anybody's kids, no matter how bad they are. I said, I already tried her. And she goes, oh, Donna won't keep your kids. I said, no. She goes, well, you're doomed. Uh-huh. So I didn't listen to her. I listened to the bus most- <laughs> driver. <Yeah. laughs> listen, listened to the ones who, who give you hope.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, and maybe we can touch base down the road and hear how your son's doing in his new uh, chapter. And I wish you and your husband all the best in your new chapter.
1: Yes, and we th- want to take time together now, hopefully.
0: Yeah. So, thank you for joining us, and stay in touch with us, okay?
1: It was so nice to meet you, Chad. Thanks. Nice for Nice to meet patience you too.
0: Me. I love the conversation. You have a great day. You too. Bye bye.